And the cancer to me was a, a message from the bloke upstairs saying, hey, Peter, you're not, you're not being who you are. You're being somebody else. And, and it's time for you to reset your life. And he might have been saying that to me for 10 years, and I didn't listen. I always say you can't sell anything to someone if you're a sad sack. People don't want sad sex. How important is it for a sustainable relationship that there be that alignment of her spirit with yours? Oh, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. I think my brother Tony has the same. My sister didn't enjoy that spiritual alignment. Tony and Kathy, they're fabulous mates. They go everywhere together. Um, you know, uh, probably more so than Peter and I, you know, being in business, it's, a, it's difficult. But I know that if I'm not in bed with Peter, she's away for a night or two, I don't sleep. Hey, you've just joined A Journey with Bernie. Greetings, precious and beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of A Journey with Bernie. Yes, my name is Bernie Kelly, and it's such a joy to be your show host and to create these weekly opportunities for you and I to discover actions and strategies, concepts and paradigms, processes and routines that our guests suggest might just help you and I to find greater love for self, sustainable inner happiness, and more meaning in our humble lives. That, my dear people, is what this podcast is all about. I've been on the journey of discovering joy from first breath. Thank you, Mum and Dad. But gee, my professional coaching life of the last 30 years with corporate clients and students across the globe has certainly helped me to see more, to do more, and to understand how to be more. I'm a consumer of life, a lover of nature. I do know its power. And that's why I do want to take you to the summit of Kilimanjaro, the base of Mount Everest, the intrigue of Machu Picchu, or that epic spiritual adventure across northern Spain. Ah, the Camino. You will be invited. Of course, like you, I'm searching for answers too. And this is why each week we explore the thoughts of our wonderful podcast guests, some of whom carry a very high profile on both the domestic and international stage. While others, dear people, they are just humble people like you and I. But one thing is certain, they will all Open our eyes to new possibilities. Hey, we're all on this journey called life, aren't we, folks? Let's embrace it. Today, you put on your curiosity hat, put on your jacket of learning, and let's together explore life's possibilities on this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Hey, folks. 
I know I'm very easily excitable, but this episode's going to bring me a great deal of joy because my connection with our guest today takes me back to my secondary school days. In truth, Peter Darcy was a year or two behind me at my school, which was called Nudgy College. But of course, Peter is much more than a high school friend or a high school connection. He is a uh, very, very prominent real estate agent, a terrific entrepreneur. Uh, He's been involved in high-level sport since he's left Nudgett. Wife of Peter, P-E-T-A. And Peter, have I got it right? The father of four daughters? Four daughters. And so uh, Peter has had a, a, a wonderful life, but not without its challenges. And that's what we're going to be exploring in this podcast. Peter, welcome aboard. New Guinea. I don't think I've met too many people that were born and bred out of New Guinea. Can you help us out, please, mate? What was it like back all those all those years ago? Well, it's like the uh, wild frontier. Um, Mum and Dad would go off to work and Tony and I would uh, go to school and then we'd have all this adventure. We'd go exploring, going everywhere and, you know, we knew that 5.30, 6 o'clock when the sun was going down we had to be home. Tummies were rumbling at the time, and we, we both we both loved our Tucker, Tony and I. So yeah, very exciting. Tony, of course, is your elder brother. Yes, he is. And if I remember correctly, Tony had a very prominent rugby career. Could you just elaborate on so we understand the Darcy family? Yeah, Tony. Um, it's a very interesting story because in 1974, Tony was playing fullback. In the 16Ds, I think there was a lady, I can't remember her name, there was a lady coach. And anyway, we were going to go to uh, Papua New Guinea. It was the end of the third, second term. And while we are doing hill sprints from the flats up to the second oval, Tony said to me, I'm going to play for Australia in five years. And I looked at him, I thought, you're right, I better not take the, the, the sting out of your tail. It sure is X. Five years and six weeks later, he runs out in the second test at Buenos Aires as the Wallaby prop. The, the prop? As a prop, yeah. How did he go from fullback to prop? He went fullback to prop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Is that testament to the nudgy Tucker? Oh, I don't know. But I, I, look, no, I think it's testament to his will. He had a troubled time at Nudgy in that he was fat, he was sensitive, he, wasn't, he didn't fit in, and uh, the boys took, you know... He took a lot of shots at him. He was always in fights. He was always defending himself. But after a while, he got some prowess in the shot put area. And then he made that decision in 74. And the next year, I think he played in the seconds, sat on the bench at the first. And then in 1977, he played the Australian schoolboys with, you know, the Eller Brothers, Melrose, and that, uh, that wonderful all conquering, um, schoolboy side. Was that a Wally? Was that a Wally Lewis side as well? Wally was there, but yeah, yeah Wally was a Benji though. Right, <laughs> didn't oh. play a test. Wow, extraordinary, wow. extraordinary side, amazing, yeah. terrific side, and and uh, that side's well documented over time. But of course, Tony's not here. You're the man of the moment here, Peter Darcy. You two had a very, very prominent sporting career at schoolboy level. Just relive it, just one minute, relive of some of the highlights back there all those years ago. I played the first 15 in 77. I got asked to leave Nudgee in 77. I went to the Southport School in 78 where I repeated senior, not that it did me any good. 
I was captain of the first 15 there. I played in the Queensland Schoolboys. Uh, as a 19-year-old, I went from school to play brothers first grade. There aren't a lot of blows, a lot of fellows that do that. Um, but unfortunately, I was hoping to follow my brother's footsteps, but I never had the will. I never had the emotional commitment. Footy was fun, footy was social, and I wasn't serious about footy. Go back to Papua New Guinea. Tell us a story which sort of like highlights what your life in Papua New Guinea was about. You got one with you and Tony roaming through the bushes, you and Tony exploring the township. Give us a story of life in Papua New Guinea for the Darcys. Well, it was like that every day. We would uh, go to school, mum and dad would go to work, and we'd go off. Um, sometimes we'd go up into the hills and we'd come across a village. Um, and I think that that part of life is not lived today because of the concern that we have for our children and the predators that are around. Um, I would think that most mothers today, if they could follow Tony and I around, they'd be horrified at the levels of risk that we might have taken mm-hmm. But for us, it was just having fun. It was just new things, finding new places, doing things we hadn't done before and just living life to the fullest. Peter, dwell dwell on that, what you just said there for a moment. A life that on a daily basis had adventure, exploration, taking of risks. How has that served you in opening up your life in latter years. That was your foundation there in Papua New Guinea and you 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 brought that attitude of what you're experiencing in New Guinea, I assume, with you. How has it served you, that taking of risk? Well, we didn't see them as risks, right? However, what it did, it... Uh ingrained a sense of independence in both Tony and I and that we could do anything. You know, we'd go out there um, and we were never worried about it. So going into new... How it's benefited me has allowed me to remember my childhood days doing that stuff and then I come across a new opportunity and to, to take that opportunity on with gusto as opposed to being... Um, entombed in fear as to whether it's going to work out or not, you know, almost like jumping with a pa- without a parachute out of a plane. Um, I, I think that's that that taking things on with an expectation that it it all be, it'll all be okay was one of the great things. And the other thing is the the, the sense of independence, and I I value my independence. Uh, it's one of my top one of my top three values is being independent. Gets me into trouble because I don't like I don't like to be told what to do, of course, which is one of the downsides. But anyway, as we get older, we seem to take the take the rough edges off. But as a young man, I never I hated people telling me what to do. Yeah. Let's give you a permission right now. Right? You're 62 years of age. Have I got that correct? Uh-huh. 62 right now. And let's just say you got a class of 15 and 16 year olds. Uh, sitting in front of you, and the topic is taking a risk, um, challenging fear, and you've only got 90 seconds before the bell rings, 
and you want to get a central message across to those young people about the value of taking risks, speak to them. The benefit to you would be learning how to take advantage of your untapped resources. Most people only use 5 or 10% of their um, talent and they are rich in rich in, in, in talent, rich in resources that, that from within. And most of them are moderately, maybe evenly happy, and they're only using 5%. Imagine the life that they would have if they started using 50 and 70% of their talent, their gifts, their resources, God-given, of course, and it would take them to the moon and back. Yeah. How would you describe that feeling of independence that came from that type of lifestyle that you had as a child? Well, it's a a large belief in yourself, knowing that um, you can do things and and that there's no fear, there's no harm will come to you. That's, for me, that's the great thing. The other thing was, you know, my father, Bill, he used to tell us to go. Bill used to give us permission he wasn't hamstrunging, holding us to the uh, to the apron strings. Bill used to tell us to get out and go, do your own thing. You're, you, his favourite saying is, "You're big enough and ugly enough, so get out, you know, and do it yourself." <laughs> I didn't appreciate it, but, but I do now. But I didn't mightn't have appreciated then. But yeah, no, Bill was very proactive in getting us to go, and we got our sense of independence and that ability that whatever we do will be right. Bill was an academic, wasn't he? Like, 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 like Bill really treasured uh, academic result and academic performance. And uh, my understanding from a prior conversation with you is that Tony met that. <laughs> How did Peter Darcy go with pleasing Dad with his academic results? Well, Tony's got four degrees and I haven't got a bus ticket, you know, um... <laughs> I uh, did senior twice, second time worse than the first, much to my father's uh, disgust or displeasure is probably the best thing to do. He could never understand why he had a second son that was so poor so poor in the field of academia. He was a very good student, um, a very, very smart mathematician, yeah. taught himself how to be an engineer at night school up in Papua New Guinea, um, So, which was... Which was a fantastic thing, but I never, I couldn't, I didn't like study. I just didn't, didn't, I wasn't engaged. But okay, okay. I'm sure Bill's view of Peter wasn't just based around his academic performance and, um, and despite his celebration of, you know, Tony and Deidre, your, your sister's academia, what would he today say? Of Peter, what was what was the one thing of Peter that defined Peter that was his asset? His zest for life. Oh, I thought you were going to say that. Yes, I thought you were going to say yeah. that. Because while I I didn't like being told by Bill that you know I was no good because I couldn't get a a, a six or a seven, I was getting threes and fours at school. Why well, I didn't like that? I was that felt that he had this confidence in me that I would somehow um, turn out to be good, turn out to be successful because I think he felt that I had his similar zest, zest for living, zest for doing well, goodness, all those sorts of things. 
So that were transferred. Isn't it funny in a podcast like this and the role that I play? Let, let me share with you key words <laughs> that I'm that I'm hearing. I've got taking of risk, adventure, uh, exploration, led to an independence, and even though it didn't manifest itself with a commitment to academic pursuits, what it did create was a zest for life, confidence in self that actually gave your parents a belief that everything was going to be okay. Is that a reasonable... No, no, I think it was because by the time I was 21 and I started in real estate with uh, Ray White, um, I sensed this, after about 12 months, I sensed this change in my father's attitude to me in that he... That, that I'd found my place it, and that I was going to do well in that particular corner of business. And I think that his concerns were, were slowly evaporated because he saw me doing well and he saw that I was doing the things that I wanted to do uh, as opposed to what the world of academia might, might have brought me. Despite Dad's raising of eyebrows, focus. let's focus on you. How... how how are you feeling about Peter Darcy at this stage? How has life served you up until these early 20s? And how's Pete feeling about Peter? Well, he's feeling pretty good. He's playing footy at Brothers. Uh, things are going well. He had 12 months at Teachers College. Didn't go well. <laughs> Did a labouring job for eight or ten months, and that wasn't for Peter, I can assure you. <laughs> Peter liked the couch. He didn't like that hard labour. But the real estate really opened up, uh, really allowed me to express my zest, my enthusiasm, high energy, and people loved it. People liked that, you know. I always say you can't sell anything to someone if you're a sad sack. I I think what I'm hearing there, Peter, is, is that people enjoy someone who's got the confidence to express that energy, and through real estate, that industry serves you well because it gave you a confidence, in essence, to be Peter Darcy and who Peter had had become. Yes, I think that's a very good way of putting it, Bernie. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, um, Dad's passing was the first over a number of, of years um, of key people um, in your life. If I uh, recall our conversation, Dad in 1996, and then a really unexpected um, passing of, of Tony's son, Christopher, in 2001. For our, our listeners, could you share uh, with them, please, the story that, um, that shook the Darcy family? Uh, the story about Christopher in 2001... Well, Christopher contracted um, meningococcal in August, I think it was the August school holidays or September school holidays, and then it got to him straight away. He had five days in ICU, um, and I, f- I was drawn, and I don't know why, but every uh, each day I would go to see Christopher at 5.30, and I felt a really strong spiritual connection to Christopher, Um so I found the experience of death to be quite rewarding. And I think it's a bit like anything, you know. 
about your pain, um, fear. These things are natural to us, but most of us don't deal with it. I know when my father died, uh, I got no benefit out of the death, nowhere near the rich benefit I got out of my uh, nephew's death and my mother's death, in that it helped me. When my father died, I didn't want to believe my father died. So I held on to that belief that my father hadn't died probably for the next four or five years, and it finally dissipated. And when Christopher died, I remember going, well, you know, that was an experience I could have benefited from, but I walked away from that experience. I didn't want to go near. That was all too hard. And then I remember having the experience with Christopher, and I found it so rich, so rewarding, so enlightening. And I think that one of the things, the best thing to come from that, I, I, I learned that we don't have to fear death. Death is a consequence of our life. It, 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 is, it is always going to be we don't have any control and then if you can't control it, you can't worry about it. And that was a great thing that I got out of that. I'm trying to put a, a, a couple of jigsaw puzzle pieces together there, there Peter. You, you spoke of a, a spiritual experience, you know, through the death of Dad in 96, 97. Forgive me, I could have the dates wrong there. Um, Christopher in 2001, and we haven't yet spoke of Mum four or five years later. This is in a decade. You're losing three very, very close people to uh, to your to your heart. It's inspiring. Oh, that's not the right word. It's stimulating a spiritual um, awareness and 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 dimension um, to you. Could you elaborate a little bit more on what that? That is. Oh, sorry. You also just said to them, Peter, about moving, moving on, um, and accepting death. So you've yeah. got this spiritual awareness and the acceptance of death. It's almost as if you you so like seeing that something more after we die. Elaborate. It's your your perception, your view. Okay. Very quickly, I didn't have the spiritual aspect with my father because I shunned myself away from that. So if I was a firefighter, I'd be running from the fire, not going into the fire. Christopher gave me that whole rich experience about that. When my mother died, I, because I experienced with Christopher what I experienced, with my mother dying, I was very accepting and all I was just saying to my mother, okay, Betty, it's time to go. You've done your job, you've been here, you've had a good life, and if it's time to go, it's time to go. I wasn't trying to hold her back, I wasn't trying to influence anything, I just wanted to be there with her, um, which was, you know, it's difficult when you see your mother and she's got early onset Alzheimer's and got a bad chest and every time she breathed, it's craggly. But when I went to see her, I just felt this sense that she was getting ready to go and when she when she decided she was going to go, she'd go. Uh, mm. And I think that um, in terms of the spiritual aspect, I think that we are spirits having a physical physical experience. We are spirits incarnate with a physical body. I also have a belief that um, my wife and I have had previous lives together. Um, I believe I'm a soulmate with Peter. She's my best friend. Nobody comes near Peter in terms of my friendship, um, association, uh, she's just so far out in front of everybody else and I think it's because we've been 
previously. Spiritual alignment between a man and a woman, how important is that? I'm not talking about the same view of spirituality, but the spirit of Peter, your Peter, (laughs) P-E-T-A, your dear wife, and you, how important is it for a sustainable relationship that there be that alignment of her spirit with yours? Oh, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. I think my brother Tony has the same. My sister didn't enjoy that spiritual alignment. Tony and Kathy, they're fabulous mates. They go everywhere together. Um, you know, uh, probably more so than Peter and I, you know, being in business, it's a, it's difficult. But I know that if I'm not in bed with Peter, she's away for a night or two, I don't sleep. So we have a really good connection, and I think it's due to past lives. Wow, wow. What well, is, I don't really know. It's just an inkling just that, that I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. What does spiritual alignment look like? What does it feel like? How do you know that you're so aligned? Well, I didn't know it when I married her. <laughs> I just thought I was bloody lucky. <laughs> um, no, I did. I thought I was really lucky. You know, I was lucky as bloke in, uh, you know, in Brisbane that day because uh, I didn't think there were many prospects after merge. But, <laughs> but um, I think as we go on and we get into the – I had cancer at 50 and after, that was a very, very great experience for me and – some people want also think I'm mad because I say it's a great thing, and most people say it brings such damage to everybody. Um, it's a bit like that firefighter runs from the pain. You know, I think most people run from the pain, but for me that was a um, a great experience. But anyway, I think when I look back after that, say maybe at the age of fifty two or fifty three, I really got this sense that our union was for keeps. Our union was old. We're soulmates. It's a spiritual thing. And some people try to um, explain it by way of uh, overlapping of core values. You'll get some people who talk about that. You know, but it's a 20, it's a, you know, it's a, a 24 year old going to, standing at the top of the aisle. You know, I had no idea about core values. <laughs> I yeah. just had to, the only thing I worried about was getting another sale and, you know, and uh, having a bit of fun. I didn't worry about what's this core value nonsense. Yet, yet you, you, I'm watching you speak of Peter in this studio and I'm seeing the eyes light up. I'm seeing the big joy across your face. So I'm going to take a little bit longer. How do you know that you're so spiritually aligned? Is, are there behaviours? Is it like you know what she's thinking? Is it, is it like there's an, an understanding? There's a tolerance? How do you know that spiritual alignment so exists between you? Well, I don't know. I've got no proof or no nothing. I can just tell you that when I'm with Peter, I don't have to speak and I know we're communicating. Um, and I know that I don't want to go anywhere without my wife, Peter, or I call her moods. So I get a bit cranky when she goes out two nights a week or three nights a week because <laughs> I want to, you know, I've been, out, I've been at work since probably four in the morning, yeah. working through to about seven o'clock, and I come home and moods is not there, and I'm going, I get a bit grumpy <laughs> uh, because I miss her energy. I, and, and to me, it's more about her energy, it's more about her presence. 
you know, we can go away for a week, not say too much, but I, I feel as if I've said a lot. Um, and I know my brother's got the same feelings. Um, and the the wonderful thing about it is that you can say things and they're only little misdemeanours. For other people, the, if the same thing said, and I've had friends when I've said stuff to Peter, they say, oh, Peter, you can't say that. And Peter goes, moods goes, oh, well, that's okay. That's, that's okay. So there's, I guess, a, uh, an, ex- an, an extension of intention and an acceptance of that intention for the gold heart that it is. Yeah, she understands your heart. Yes. And it's true intention. Yeah. I really hope you're enjoying this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Isn't it loaded with gems? I just love the way it enhances my awareness and provokes my thinking. Oh, by the way, my name is Taylor Pierce, and here's a thought for you. There are so many of you who've already inquired or booked your place on our forthcoming adventures to Nepal and Everest Base Camp. It's great to have you on board. You too are welcome to join us. We are departing Australia for Kathmandu on September the 5th and again on October the 4th. You will need three weeks to embrace standing at the foot of Sagamatha, Everest herself. We can get you there safely and in the process, like these podcasts, tease you with experiences that just might bring you extraordinary joy and happiness. Check it out by visiting our website, www.gitravel.com.au. Or better still, just jump on the phone and give me a call on 0419-195-953 for a free information kit. That one phone call might just be the life enhancer you're seeking. We would be thrilled to have you on board. So give me a call today. Hey, let's get back to another journey. The Journey with Bernie. Come back to Bill's death, Christopher's terrible passing, uh, mum's death. And then I just heard before cancer at 50. There's a heck of a lot of loss in those events. There's pain and chaos going on and as you respond to all of that. What, what, what did all that teach you about life, your life? Well, I think it taught me to take things on. Was a young man, as a young young kid in Papua New Guinea, Tony and I, we took things on. We always took things on. And the cancer to me was a, a message from the bloke upstairs saying, hey, Peter, you're not, you're not being who you are. You're being somebody else. And, and it's time for you to reset your life. And he might have been saying that to me for 10 years and I didn't listen. So I, my feeling is he gave me a big whack around the ears and I got cancer and then in the recovery process, you get a lot of time to think. You get a, a self-reflection, internalising yourself. And from there, doing that really helped me understand that I wasn't fulfilling my, I wasn't fulfilling the, the number of things that I expected myself to fulfill. I was being a father that wasn't, that was like my father and not being the father that I always wanted to be. And uh, I have these tenets that say that if you're going to be a good father, 
what you want to do is you want to be a good provider, you want to be a good role model, and you want to be a really good friend. Now, I feel that I wasn't a good friend to my kids up till, till about 50 or I had the cancer. As my father, who lost his father at the age of five, he didn't have a dad. So I was never, I never felt dad was my friend. Mind you, I think that was quite consistent with a lot of my father's peers, uh, that mum did all the nurturing at home and Bill brought the money in, the father brought the money in and, you know, the father had friends but the the son was, the son and daughters were son and daughters and there was mm. a disconnect. Mm. And I yearned for that connect mm. back in the uh, late, uh, when I was 19, 1986, I went to, 1985, I played rugby in Italy and it was the first time I really started to question my childhood. And in part, in over to Italy, in Italy, we're in a little town, 50,000 people, uh, 40, 50 minutes from um, Rome. And I noticed the Italian way of life in the provincial areas was all about three and four generational families. And, you know, uh, the wonderful life that they had, although they had nothing, but they made the best of everything. But the Italians say... Family, friends and food. Mm. They're the big tenets for them. And mm. I sort of brought that back thinking, well, I'm going to have that. And then I got on the commercial uh, merry-go-round yeah. and, you know, working 100 hours a week trying to provide because, I, you know, I had this fear that I'd never be enough. I wouldn't yeah. be good enough. I wouldn't have enough for my kids, wouldn't have enough for Peter. And then, you know, it drove me into this insane adrenaline-driven lifestyle, mm. working mm. because of adrenaline, not because of anything else or mm. having meaning. But, yeah, so that's what did. And I think that that culminated all in the cancer. In a, in a funny way, since we started this podcast, I've got Peter in New Guinea, young man at Nudgee College, just after Nudgee, zest for life. He is living it fully without too many distractions. Then I've got the period of life that you just spoke about. You, the commercial animal, the young, the man who's got to build his empire. And then cancer comes along and says, don't you forget who you are. And who you are was that zest for life, joy for life. And that's important, Pete, that you never compromise on that. It doesn't mean that you couldn't bring the joy to your real estate business and to the things that were important to you. Does that resonate oh, with you? Right. Yes. Um, but having the cancer and the reset and the realisation that I was living a narrow a narrow band in my life and I needed to open it up, um and be be a full have full life of myself and not deny myself by by the commercial interest and it's interesting i found myself that when the authenticity of people is so important and today as people start to turn off social media which which was what i'm seeing they're looking for authenticity consequently how has this changed your perception of people, call them clients, guests, customers. How does it change the way that you operate with people? I think I operate with people today with a lot more trust than I had previously. 
You giving the trust? Is that what you're saying? No, no, you- no, no, I can't give trust. Yeah. Well, I guess your client's a reflection of yourself. If I trust myself and I'm prepared to tell somebody something and not be worried about the outcome but only because of the goodwill associated with giving of that advice or giving of that idea, those people, when they see that I trust myself to be able to do that and I'm not holding back, I'm not trying to be somebody else, they find that very reassuring. You're almost saying that you you can go into a negotiation, call it what you may, an interaction with a potential uh, client uh, um, or customer, uh, someone who wants to buy a house, and you're going into that without any agenda of having to close the deal. You're there really, number one, to serve that person and their needs. And if in the process that leads to the deal, that's great. That's almost the outcome. It's almost yes. the bonus. It's almost the byproduct. Yes, switching from a very transactional based number-based, uh, reward, commission-based, thinking about what I've got to do to, to get so many sales, to have so much income, and, and thinking about how you can help people and being relaxed about it and, and feeling as if that you're enough. You're enough. And it doesn't matter what happens, you'll always have enough. And you'll be enough, and that's what people want. And do sales then take care of themselves? The amount of sales that your business needs in order to be productive and profitable, just it tends to take care of itself? I, I think that it does from the point of view that when you ask for decision from owners, you tend to say, well, this is option A, this is option B, here are the consequences of option A, here are the consequences of option B, which do you think feels the best way to go? As opposed to... Um, using my energy, enthusiasm, in a little bullying fashion to get what I wanted. Mm. But it's mm. not what I want, it's what they mm. want. Mm. There's been three major changes in Peter Darcy in the way that he treats people since his experience of cancer, or maybe we could leave that aside and just say in the latter years of your life with this more servitude view of things. If there's been three major shifts rather than Full changes. What would be those shifts? The first shift is is saying it's okay to trust yourself. It's okay to not second guess what somebody wants and to be prepared to trust yourself and and uh, give your advice, give your service to people without fear or favour. I think that's probably the one thing. The other thing is that when you start to trust yourself, you hear other people much better. When you've got a transactional mindset, you tend to be worried about the benefits of the transaction and instead of listening to what the people are saying and what they're not saying. And they, there's a lot more they don't say as opposed to what they do say. Mm-hmm. You know, Shakespeare used to say that... Uh, that the spoken word is only there to diffuse or disguise the intention of the speaker. Mm. And I think that that's, I see myself in that, you know, that pre-cancer period when I was very transactional, I see that, that for me, that was a way I was. Mm. And look, the other, the other, the last thing is, if it comes from the heart, nothing can go wrong. 
You 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 jokingly said, Peter, at twenty four years of age, at the, the the head of the wedding aisle. If someone had asked you what your core values were, you you said you wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> what are three or four of your core values now? What is uncompromisable for Peter Darcy in the way that he he lives and embraces life? Well, my main core value is a spiritual connection. Is a spiritual connection. I believe. I believe I. Uh, I do connect, and I believe I do get feelings, I do get guidance, I do get uh, strength from the universe. Uh, that uh, The next value to me is me and my life. I think we've got to value our lives because most people don't. You know, um, we can't live a great life. We can't have a magnificent life if we don't say, if we don't value ourselves now, I don't mean being selfish, but everything we do, it's human nature, it's animal nature. Mm. Everything we do is for ourselves, be it directly or indirectly. Mm. Uh, that was an important aspect for me. Uh, living in magnificent health and well-being to the age of 110, that's very high on my agenda. My family's very high on the agenda. Uh, my work is very high on the... They're, they're probably the five key areas that I, I, um, I hold as my values. I remember the first or the first, the first uh, podcast um, from Ken Packenham, and he talked about that whole thing about getting to know your spirit, getting to know your soul, and looking within because that's where your strength is. Yeah. And I've talked about it before that most people have only got five percent of or ten percent, and they've got this untapped reservoir. And you know the beautiful thing about Ken's story, and if you ever get a chance is that there's a bloke at 13, he watches his mother drink some rat poisoning and then he goes into the bedroom to watch her die and choke and gargle and all that sort of stuff because she was in a domestic violence circumstances. And the, the what he went through and what got him to where he is today was his spirit, was his soul, finding his soul and listening to what his soul had to say. What does your soul today say? is your purpose. You're 62, and let's just agree, of course it's not going to be the same purpose as the 24-year-old Peter who has just come out of Papua New Guinea and Nudgee College and the Southport School. But at 62 years of age, what are you deciding is your purpose or your major or primary spiritual intention? Well, I think to answer that question, if you look, for me, if I look at my life or I look at anybody's life, it's divided up into three segments. The first segment is being a child. We were very self-orientated as being a child. We're growing and learning. We're getting ready for adulthood. And then we get into adulthood and family. That's the second. And then the last portion is when you, don't, when you have limited um, expectations to serve your family. You've got this whole area where is when I think that you can serve your spiritual intentions. For me, I, I, I like to help people have a better life. I believe my role is to help people have a better life, and I'm learning how to do that so that I can, I can help someone um, look over the box. I can help someone look, find their spiritual intentions internally and for them to manifest them. 
It, it's funny you should say that because I could say that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast. But I'll probably also say that in the process, my my greatest beautiful surprising learning is how much people are helping me to have a better life. It's almost the process of helping or reaching out to others has brought me such delight and content and awareness and breakthrough thoughts. You mentioned Ken Packenham before, the whole concept of living your essence, not on a daily basis, not on an hourly basis, but a momentary basis, being clear about your values and living. That was a breakthrough thought for me, you know, and, and yet it's such a simple concept. But to hear it in that way just broke through yes. and, and challenged um, my existence. So applaud your purpose of wanting to serve and add value to others. But, geez, isn't it fascinating how it can bring so much reward? Oh, you, you learn. It's amazing what you learn. And, and really it, it's a reflection of yourself what you're learning. So it's self-learning, whether you're using, well, not like that word using, but in helping somebody else, you learn so much more about yourself and discovering yourself. And I think I've always had a, a love lot learning. You know, I had a life with a learning, um, although my father wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a reader, Pete? Do yeah, you? I do a fair bit of reading. Yeah. yeah. Book in the last year that you just go, oh, God, it's a must-read. Is there a book out there that stands out for you? Um, no, but there is one I want to work. I really want to read, and I bought it. And I'm waiting for it to come, and that's uh, the book called "A Banquet of What's That?" A trauma banquet. A trauma banquet yeah. by, uh, by Ken Ken, Ken Peckenham. Um, I, I think that that book is something that'll that'll be a guide for me in how to try and help people as I look, and you know follow his journey and what he did, um, I think I'll get enormous benefits. So that's the next one on my mind. Well, my mind is saying that I think people are getting a lot of benefit from this podcast. Let's start to draw it towards a close, and I'm going to finish it in a different way to any other podcast. Let's go through those three stages of, of, of life that you mentioned before. And let's just say in front of you are those young ones where they're starting life, they're bulletproof, um, they're uh, finding their identity, and you've only got a single sentence. What's the one thing you want to say to those teenagers, young men and women? Single sentence. It's the most important piece of advice you could give to such a young audience. What would it be, Pete? Be true to yourself. Even at that age. Even at that age. And even at that age, um, kids are kids are kids know they're not happy now. And being true to the being true to yourself is the first place to start. Well, what's interesting there, Peter, is is of course the self then is a developing self. It's still very much an evolving self. So I feel what you're saying is however you see the true self, even at that age, be true to it, even though 
you can be aware that it's still developing and evolving at a rapid rate. Yeah. I think one of my concerns is our education system is continually to to wrap people up and there's the education system is preventing is doing more today to create this totally protected unit, this this cocoon. The genius within us will come as we unwrap that cocoon. Wow, wow. Mm. Overcome this dissatisfaction, says Peter Darcy, by being your true to yourself. Yes. Uh, true to your values. What's your own essence? It's your values are your essence, mm. not somebody else's. Mm. And in doing that, you lay down a foundation for happiness that combats sometimes the dissatisfaction that we allow to creep into our lives ever so incrementally. Yes. There's an interesting thing. When I'm talking to young people, I'm trying to help. I say this, if you come up with yourself, I can give you an idea, but you'll only give it 10% of of what you got. You come up with the idea and it'll be 100%. And that's why the value, just on a numerical point of view, of going inside and, and hearing hearing your soul and hearing what's important to you and asking what's important to me, mm. what is important. Mm. Mm. And all of a sudden you start to create laneways for yourself mm. and this confidence because you're going places, you're making good decisions. Mm. You're supporting things that you know are right. You're supporting things that you know that your mother and father supported, but your peers may not support it. Mm. And it's, you know, to go to go against the thinking of your peers is probably the most courageous thing you'll ever do. And that is one of the things that you can do. And when you demonstrate courage and bravery, do you get root you get goosebumps the size of roofing nails. Last audience, Peter. We're moving towards our last audience. These are the 50 pluses. <laughs> My thought is there that inevitably, if we are blessed with 50 years upon this planet, usually somewhere in our life, pain and chaos has arisen and been a great teacher. There's the chance that by 50, um, we're aware of a heck of a lot more yes. than when we were 15 at Nudgee College or yes. back at secondary school. But Peter, it's only a single sentence. What do you say to those 50, 55, 60 plus entering this beautiful new age of life? What do you say to them that they must never forget if they're going to maximise their existence? I tell them to get rid of the rear vision mirror and not to be a product of your past that keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. Just look forward and have a belief that you can have a magnificent life and you don't need all the resources that you think you wanted to have as a 20 or 30-year-old. You don't. What you need is the knowledge of self mm. and that who you are and, and that you're worthy I'm laughing to ours, to myself and we should be laughing because we started with Nudgy College. <laughs> but that doesn't dilute one bit, Peter, that wonderful piece of advice. 
at this beautiful stage of life, 50 plus, there is so much to embrace and create. And maybe we're at a stage of life where we're more capable than ever. Absolutely. I remember the um, when I was talking to Victoria Sinclair, she gave me a piece of advice when I got cancer. And she said to me, Peter, just say this. What I've done to myself, I can undo. And I would say that 30, 40, 50 times a day. And the next thing she said, Peter, you're in the right place at the right time for what's right as you. Just embrace it and go with it. Wow. Well, I'm hoping that our listeners of this podcast, Peter Darcy, are embracing the lessons that have uh, arisen from this discussion. I know that I've certainly enjoyed it and I'll be very, very, very surprised if there's not a number of people out there that have uh, heard what Peter Darcy has had to say, what he's suggested to them, and that they will be considering taking on some of these thoughts in order for them to find a little bit of greater meaning in their humble lives, just as I have done in my humble life. Thank you, Peter Darcy. Truly wonderful to have you on board. Have the final say, dear man. I think that hope and optimism are the thing. And that forget about the rear vision mirror and have this hope and optimism for a wonderful life. And don't allow it to be material, but the life of self and interactions as you go for the next 20 or 30 years. Beautiful man, Peter. Terrific stuff, mate. Thanking you. Bye for now. (laughs) I do hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Journey with Bernie. I loved it. Of course, the contact and connection details of our special guest and any references to resource material, books or educational sources can be found in the podcast notes. Do go there, folks. Our guests would so welcome hearing from you. Now, for those of you who have previously rung me about joining our forthcoming adventures to Nepal and those glorious Himalayan trekking trails, it's truly great to have you on board. For those of you that are still interested, may I suggest you visit the website of Global Immersion Travel? That's www.gitravel.com.au. Then ring my equally enthusiastic associate, Taylor Pierce on 0419-195-953. That's 0419-195-953. Embrace the journey, dear people. Just embrace the journey and enjoy every minute of it. And just remember... (laughs) 